invite you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I want to just continue with a, a few thoughts uh, about the topic of fellowship and, and what's that to, to look like. We've already had a couple lessons on this. Just uh, a what was supposed to be a very basic lesson on what fellowship looks like in the New Testament, how the word itself is used, uh, and kind of contrast that with how a lot of the religious world tends to use that same term. But uh, then we went beyond that in looking at how it says in Acts chapter 2 that, that the brethren who had given themselves to Christ on, on, uh, at the day of Pentecost... It says they were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to, to uh, the apostles' teaching and to doctrine. But specifically, what did that look like when it comes to fellowship? And some of those things, all of those things, are intertwined within that. Um, and, and making a few applications, I want to delve even deeper in terms of application tonight as we look at that, particularly in Philippians chapter 2, just asking the question of what kind of attitude, what is our mindset supposed to be, uh, when it comes to fellowship um, and and really just the the kind of uh, patience maybe we need to have uh, when it comes to our fellowship with one another um, because when you talk about fellowship it is a part of the, the goal it, it is something that we engage in with one another as we are all striving to get to heaven now with that being said it tends to be a little bit difficult to strive with even a small group of people, people, let alone, you know, more than five. <laughs> so uh, I just kind of want to look at that a little bit more, particularly as we look at the example that Paul writes about in Christ spe specifically. But we're just going to look at the first few verses here of Philippians chapter 2, and we'll get into uh, even more detail on this in, in the next lesson. We're going to continue looking at Philippians 2 uh, deeper into the chapter. I really want to focus on the first four verses here tonight. Um, and so let's just read that very quickly. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, again, we're going to look uh, into more of Philippians chapter 2, but this lesson particularly, I want to look at especially verses 3 and 4, because uh, that's going to be our, our main points this, this evening. Uh, but this speaks toward the, the notion that I want to get at tonight, is that notion of getting rid of any selfishness or empty conceit and making sure that we're thinking about one another. There's, um, I, again, I don't know who wrote this, but it was something I found on Facebook, and um, incidentally, it wasn't like the rest of the trash that usually tends to be on Facebook. I thought it was kind of funny, so I'll share it with you. It was a, a bit of a poem written about brethren. It says, to live above with the saints of love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's a completely different story. <laughs> and, and I kind of like that because it's, it really rings true to a degree. It, it is hard when you um, are, are with a group of people to always be on the same page and to always have the, 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 the patience that is required because sometimes patience does wear thin. 
Now, is that an excuse? Absolutely not. But it's just the reality. We have to figure out how to deal when that patience does run thin. And, and I think what that takes is a step-by-step -step process of thinking, how am I supposed to view this person that, I'm, that I have this kind of fellowship with? How am I supposed to look at them? How am I supposed to treat them? And so, again, we'll get into more application in the next lesson, but today we focus on how we get to the correct application. What kind of focus do we need? What kind of focus must we have? to keep the unity of the spirit and oneness of mind, as we just read in Philippians 2 and verses 1 through 4. And the first point we find in verse 3 is this notion that we are to, do, uh, that, that we are to uh, uh, regard one another as more important. In, um, uh, particularly in verse 3, I like the way uh, a few different translations put this. We're going to look at a, uh, the New English translation and the ESV a couple of times as we look at uh, these first four verses here. But to start, we are expected to focus on our brother's interests. We are supposed to focus on our brother and or sister's interests. Uh, it is obviously, as we already read in the text, not just supposed to be that we are focusing solely on ourselves. Now that much is pretty clear. But when it comes to this focus we're supposed to have on each other, I think immediately sometimes the focus that we tend to think of is, is oh, well, the burdens that they bear. we got to help them with their burdens. And it, Absolutely, in Galatians 6 and verse 2, that is a responsibility that we have towards one another. We're supposed to help one another with the burdens that they can't bear themselves, by, by themselves. That they need the help of the church around them. That they need the help of God's people. But it is not isolated to only the burdens. It is not isolated to only when, you know, the, the moments of weakness that one may have. Uh, it's... Is broader than that the application is we're not only supposed to think about their burdens but we're also supposed to think about their uh, uh, think about them when it comes to just their interests in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 again as I said uh, I want to look at both the ESV and the New English translation because I think it renders this verse well but in Romans 12 and verse 10 we've read it before in the ESV it says love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor the Net Bible says, be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness in honoring one another. I, and I think that those are really good translations because I think it just emphasizes this notion of that kind of focus, that kind of attention that we are supposed to put on each other, not just on myself, but on one another. Now, this doesn't take away our personal responsibilities of making sure that we are, are doing what we need to do. But this is just, you know, again, that, 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 that's that foundation. This is going beyond that. This is where maturity brings us, Christian maturity. And that is thinking about each other in the proper way, in the appropriate kind of ways. <clears throat> and so we are supposed to be so focused on one another that we outdo one another in showing honor, that we are eager in honoring one another. I, I really think that is, that is the right way to put it. Now, Again, it's so much easier to focus on the person when, you know, there's a burden, when there's maybe a failure in our eyes. It's not as easy when there's not just an outright failure. It's not as easy when it's just, you know, their interests, as he says in Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> but that is how we're supposed to look. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, rather, but also for the interests of others. And so... Um, I think it's important to keep that in mind. You look back in Philippians 2 and verse 4, the New English translation says, uh, uses this word, each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. And so, in fact, we are to be concerned like you would your own interests. Now, we understand um, the kind of concern that we have when it comes to 
just our own interests. And here he is saying, you need to bring that into the family. You need to bring that into the fellowship. And so um, we would do much to make sure that our interests are fulfilled, that our interests are met. We do much to make sure that that's the case. Now, immediately the question becomes, are we working that hard when it comes to one another? Uh, and frankly, a lot of the times that's just not the case. Now, I'm not saying that never is the case, but a lot of the times that, that is the case because we tend to get very distracted by all of the various things that can happen in our own lives and then we just have to, you know, we have to tend to those things, we have to deal with all of that and it's easy to overlook the responsibility we do have for each other. Um, and so we have to have that kind of concern for one another. Going beyond that, we are to focus so much on brethren's interests that we even consider what would cause them to stumble. Uh, you see this kind of um, point made really frequently throughout the New Testament. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, intrinsically made in Philippians 2, but over in Romans chapter 14, you might put a marker there because we'll come back to this point. But in Romans chapter 14, in Romans 14, he begins talking, you know, the, the heading in my Bible just says principles of conscience. And sometimes, uh, well, a lot of times people will come to this and kind of use it as maybe a, I don't know, a rubber stamp to maybe say that they can do whatever they want. No one can say anything about it because you don't want to judge your brother. That's, that's, that is not what this text is teaching. What this text is teaching is that you have various groups of people that are coming to Christ and they have different backgrounds and so they're going to view something like meat sacrificed to idols in completely different ways and what Paul is saying is you need to make sure that you're thinking about one another you need to make sure that you are not using your liberty to harm your brother and on the other end you need to make sure that you are not using this restriction that, that, that you are freely putting on yourself and you can't uh, judge your brother I do think it's interesting the words that are used for the, the, the weaker brother and the stronger brother. The weaker is the one that has said you, you can't judge the, the one who has the stronger faith. But on the other hand, you don't get to have contempt. Uh, and we go into that a little bit more in a different study. But in the context, he is just trying to keep that unity by saying when it comes to these things of liberty, these should not be things that split brethren. These should not be things that cause disruption. These are things where you should be shining in terms of outdoing one another in showing honor. Um, but in Romans 14 and verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he in the, who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So in the middle of all of this, the, all of the, uh, the, this, a couple different things that could cause disruption, a couple different things that could, you know, somewhat break that unity to a degree, what does he say? No matter who you are, you need to think about your brother. You need to think about their, uh, maybe their weakness. Or you need to think about uh, the fact that this is not a restriction that they have. But you go over to a, a similar passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 31. And, and he is speaking about similar things. He's just gone uh, over the prior chapters 
over uh, meat sacrifice to idols. I will say this principle, I think this application goes beyond just meat sacrifice to idols because we don't really deal with that much today. Uh, but the principle itself remains intact. What does he say? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. Now what is Paul saying? That he's going to just partake in any sin or just, uh, you know, not do what God has said because it pleases men? No. What he is saying, though, is that he is not going to he he is not going he's going to bend where he can to keep peace. He's going to bend where he can to bring people to Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Paul says this frequently about himself that he is willing to do that and he is pleading with brethren in the 1st century to do the same. And I think that plea extends to all of us sitting in this room in the 21st century. Yes, we don't we don't deal with things like meat sacrifice to idols, but we do deal with issues that where, where time and time again you see something that should not break the fellowship of a group, and it does. And what that, what that is, is ultimately it's a travesty. It is a shame. It is not something to be gloried about. It is not something to revel in when you do see a split. But, but, and, and so what we find is, I think, uh, within the New Testament, is that, as Paul says, we need to strive for that unity evermore and keep it at the forefront of our minds. Because if ever we allow a breaking of that fellowship, if ever we allow a disruption for silly matters, for frivolous matters, really, that is a travesty of what we are supposed to look like. And so as he talks about this focus we're to have on our brethren, he even goes to the point where he says, you've got to think about the things that even would hurt them, that would hinder their faith. Now, we're not saying that you, that you, you live according to all of the sensibilities of, of any individual person. What, what Paul is saying is you need to be sympathetic to this person because they're not just any worldly individual. This is a brother in Christ. This is someone who has taken that sacrifice of Christ and they have utilized that to have a relationship with God. They are truly your brother. They are truly your sister. How are you treating them? You're saying, you're coming up and, and you're just saying, well, you know what? I get to do whatever I want because this is not a restriction for me. This is my liberty and I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it. That's not love speaking. That's pride speaking, which we'll look at more in just a moment. But, but we're supposed to have this kind of focus where we think about one another in such a capacity. And this means that ultimately we are proactively, um, I would say, we are proactively seeking occasions to benefit our brethren, to encourage them, rather than the other way around. As he says in Philippians 2, we are supposed to be thinking so much about our brethren that, that, that we put their interests before our own. And what that looks like is, instead of always saying, well, I, 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 I need someone to encourage, nobody ever encourages me. It's time for you to put that responsibility on yourself. Um, over in, uh, back in Romans, we already read Romans uh, towards the end of the chapter, in, in chapter 14. Picking up in Romans 15, really, it's the same argument. It's right after this argument that he's made. He says in verse 1, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
And then you get to verse 4 where it talks about how whatever was written in past times, all those things they were written for our instruction. I think it's interesting that he brings this into the, the, uh, the context of, of Romans because, one, he brings Christ into it saying, look at the example of Christ. He did it to the ultimate degree. Uh, but, but you think about the two audiences that are reading this. These, the audiences are not just people who have not become Christians, who have not been converted. The people who Paul are, is writing to is Christians. Now, he's writing to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And again, there would be some uh, clash when it comes to cultural, culture and traditional uh, uh, ways of life. And so, as he is speaking to these people who are incredibly... Uh, <laughs> you know, against each other at one point, but are now supposed to be one in Christ, here's where he comes to. You, you need to think about pleasing your neighbor for his good, for his edification. And you need to think about that because look at what Christ did. And not only that, but as Paul writes this, I believe it's in a psalm, uh, uh, psalm I can't remember the psalm right now, but um, I believe it's Psalm 69. As David is writing this, it's interesting to note that in the context of that psalm, he is not writing about just any old enemy. The enemy that he's writing about are his own brethren. The enemy are his own people. And it's the same with Christ. And I think what, what Paul is doing is bringing all of this to bear in this one argument. He says, those of you who are more focused on pleasing yourself only and caring less, caring not at all about your brethren... What camp do you fall in? Well, you fall into the camp of those who were uh, persecuting David. You fall into the camp of those who are persecuting Christ. You do not fall in the same camp with David and Christ. And I think it's helpful to think about it in those terms. What camp are we? Are we in the camp that just persecutes our brethren for, for frivolous and silly things? Are we thinking about them in such a way that we are trying to ever more encourage them and edify them? Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this notion of seeking, I think, really comes to bear in beginning in verse 14. He says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. And so I think that it's interesting in verse 14 there are a few different groups of people that he talks about and different instructions he gives for those different groups of people. Like when you see that uh, uh, term unruly, that's the same term that's used in Second Thessalonians chapter 3 where he talks about the people that you need to withdraw from because they're continuing down that unruly path. But just note it doesn't start there. Where does it start? It starts with admonishment. It starts with love. It starts with a, a gentle approach to bring that person back. And so you admonish the unruly. You encourage the faint-hearted. And you help those who are weak. But ultimately, what, is, what, are, what do all those things fall under? Patience. You be patient with everyone. And again, it makes sense why he gives this instruction. Because we are all the time having to look at ourselves in the mirror saying, you need to... You need to deal with it. You need to have more strength here. You need to calm yourself down. And we do. We do. We need to more often calm ourselves down and have more patience. Because how many times have we gotten frustrated with someone, maybe because of spiritual immaturity, and we're just so tired of this, and we just can't believe this. Now, there is something to be said. We need to continue to encourage that person. But we, look, we just get so frustrated and so angry, and we, we just want to lash out on the person because they just continue to be so spiritually immature. Do you ever wonder 
how often God has thought that about us? Have you ever wondered how frustrated God has gotten with, with me individually for the same reasons? How could he still be so spiritually mature? How could he still not care as much as, as, much as he, he should at this point? How can he not grow past this? I think that's a valid question to ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves every now and then. Because a lot of times we get so frustrated and angry with people and we forget how easily we fall to the same stumbling blocks from time to time. How we fall to the same frustrations from time to time. Um, So it's important to remember those things. Now, going past that, not only are we supposed to regard one another as more important, but as he says in Philippians 2 and verses 1 through 4, uh, at the beginning of verse 3, He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Do nothing from uh, uh, selfish ambition or empty conceit. Now, um, in in Philippians 2 and verse 3, again, I I like to look at the New English translation. I think it's helpful at times, and I think this is one of those incidents. It says, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourselves. And, and so here you see even stressed, uh, as, as we see in the example of Christ, as he continues to go on in verses 5 through 8, that notion of humility that we have to keep, that we have to maintain, <laughs> and really we can never let go of. And, and, and the reason we can't is because pride will crop up and, and stifle that, which is incidentally the next point. But first and foremost, when it comes to this notion of not doing anything from selfishness or empty conceit or from uh, selfish ambition or vanity, this isn't just a suggestion. It truly is a command. It comes with full force of a command, a command just as, as forceful as be baptized, every one of you. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. With the same level of, of, uh, <laughs> with the same level of, of affirmation that we have when it comes to commands like that we need to have the same level of affirmation when it comes to commands even like this where he says that you are to do nothing from selfishness but selfishness but you are to think about one another you're supposed to be thinking uh in terms of their interests more than your own i think this shows up especially when um as as we've already indicated when you think about people's responsibilities within a group you know I know exactly what this person's responsibilities are. We've talked about it from time to time. And you know what? Maybe, maybe it's not even just the responsibilities we, we both know are supposed to be there, that are supposed to be met. It also could just very simply be, man, they could pick up more. I, I mean, I see how their life goes. I know what kind of, how busy their schedule is. They could do more. And I think it's a lot easier to think in those terms when it comes to everyone else except ourselves. Do you, do you only ever think about your brother's or sister's responsibilities? Or do you at least mingle that with your own? And then maybe use that as, as a way to, you know, help that patience aspect. When we think about, well, am, am I doing enough? Very often, very often, it tends to be probably not. And I need to do a little bit better. And what that does is help us think about our brother who maybe we're struggling with in terms of uh, what we're thinking about them at the time. We can think, well... I'm not as high and mighty as I thought I was. So maybe I can cut them a little bit of slack. Now, none of this is to say that we're just making excuses the whole time so, so that way no one has to do what they're supposed to do and no one is to grow. But, but what we're saying is we need encouragement and edification all the time. If all we ever hear 
from, from everyone around us, the people that are supposed to matter the most. If all we ever hear is just constant rebuke and constant, uh, you know, sarcastic jokes and constant jabs, that is never going to help someone grow. If, if that's all they hear, we, they need encouragement. They need edification. That's what God says that we all need. Um, I, I, there was a, I, again, Brother Holly, I was in a study with him, and he was talking about the, a couple of these words when it comes to encouragement, edification, exhorting, rebuke. There was a fellow that he was talking to, and uh, he just said, you know, th- there was a guy who, who said that he wanted to help out one of his brethren, and uh, after the whole matter was done, it was probably done a bit more forcefully than it should have been, uh, and not as gentle and, and really not as, uh, not as fairly as it should have been. And he came to me, and he just said, well, let me tell you, I sure did exhort him. <laughs> and he said, you know, I don't know if you mean the same thing when you, as I do when you say the word exhort. What he meant was, oh, I rebuked him, and I rebuked him forcefully. I let him know what was what. But that's not exhortation. That's not edification. Exhortation is, you know, trying to lift someone up and trying to help even those who may be weak for a time. We're not just trying to push them down further, and we're not trying to make them feel worse about themselves, especially when they even understand they are failing in some degree. What are we supposed to, we're supposed to help them. Not just erase everything, not just erase the failure and say, hey, it's okay. But to say, we can grow past this. We can get past this. Let me help you in that. Um, and, and so uh, we need to think in those terms that this is a command that we think in that kind of way about our brethren. And not just have a, uh, a selfish demeanor, not just have a demeanor that... <laughs> that just makes them feel worse about themselves instead of trying to help them, actually help them truly uh, grow. Um, but as we said a moment ago, pride keeps us from doing this. Pride, I think, as we just read in verse 3, humility is the, is the main thing that he focuses on in terms of how to treat one another, this kind of mindset that we're supposed to have. He even continues on in verses 5 through 8 in looking at Jesus, the ultimate example of humility, And I think that's for a reason, and that is because pride often is the thing that keeps us from having the kind of attitude and the kind of mindset that we're supposed to have towards one another. Back over in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, in verse 3. Actually, we'll we'll begin in verse 1, because verse 3 comes right after what he says in verses 1 and 2. And and what does he say in verse 1? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed by the renew. Uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is—that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. I think it's interesting that comes right after verse 2 where he says, don't, don't think the same way the world does. You want to know how they think? They think the opposite of verse 3. They, they think more highly of themselves than everyone, than all of their peers. They think, most of the world think themselves higher than their superiors, uh, whether it comes to a job or whatever. And, and so you don't look like them. God's people looks different. God's people is supposed to look like those who, who elevates their brethren above themselves. 
And I think that there's a, a, something that w could be said about what humility looks like. It is not a demeaning of oneself. It's not, you know, it's not like someone, you know, talking about themselves in just a derogatory way or a pejorative way, just saying, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> humility is, is, bring, is elevating others above you, is showing more honor to someone uh, than, than showing honor to yourself. That's what real humility is. It's not just uh, ultimately trying to make someone feel better by just saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm much worse than you. No, no, it's, it's an active mindset of I, I want to show them more honor. And so in uh, Romans 12, we've, we've read a few verses from this in the, in the prior weeks just because as he talks about this notion of being members one of another and, and, and how he talks about the love that is supposed to be without hypocrisy, how we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We already read in verse 10 how we are supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. We've read all of these things. Before all of that, he, he starts with make sure that that pride is not there. Make sure that you're not thinking huh, too far ahead to the point where, where, where you've forgotten where you are. Don't, don't think that you are above uh, your, your peers um, just, just, because, uh, you, you, just because of your own righteousness, maybe. Um, but continuing on in uh, verse 16 of Romans chapter 12. Verse 16, he says, But be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So again, he comes back to this notion of pride. And, and what is one of the main examples, what is one of the main indicators of someone who is prideful? Someone who has found wisdom beyond God's word. Someone who knows what wisdom is, and they are the pinnacle of it. They are the epitome of all, of all you know, uh, wise discernment. No, you have to come to God's word. You have to come to the scriptures to, to find that kind of wisdom. Um, and so I think that is ultimately one of the main indicators that, that shows us... <laughs> whether we are prideful or, or, or not, or at the very least, uh, it shows us in one way that we may be prideful. Well, what does that kind of pride sound like? I think it could sound like people who sometimes say, uh, when it comes to the responsibilities, I've done my part. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. Guess what? Now it's their turn. I'm not doing another thing until they do their job. Or maybe you see something that's lacking, and, and, and again, you just say, well, that's their job. What about them? What, why do I have to do it all? You know, I wonder how, how things would go in the home if, if fathers said that. If they actually saw that things were falling apart in the home. What's the best thing to do? To leave it in shambles? To, I mean, to just leave jobs undone? Or are you going to do what you're supposed to do as the leader and take care of what needs to be done? Maybe, it could be that maybe your wife is not doing her job. It could be wives that your husband is not doing his job. What are we supposed to do? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to make sure that they know that this is all going wrong because of them. Chances are they already do. But you're not supposed to just leave everything undone. There's a response. There is something that has to be fulfilled. There is a job that must be done for, for the brethren, for the family. And if you leave it undone, well, guess what? You're just leaving it for somebody else. And somebody else is going to say the same thing about you. So I think that's sometimes what pride sounds like. It doesn't just sound like, well, I'm better than everybody else. It sounds like that at times. I, I've done it. So you know what? Everything else, I'm going to leave it for the rest of them. I think that's what pride sounds like from time to time. Well, finally with this point, it is you 
who is expected to serve. And uh, I put that in all capital letters because as you look in, uh, deeper into Philippians chapter 12, or Philippians chapter 2 rather, Philippians 2 in verse 5, he begins talking about Christ and he uses his, him as an example as I think just that culmination of what a servant is supposed to look like. He says in verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, again, he's used as an example of... of of, of being a servant. And he starts by saying, you have the same mindset. You have the same attitude. You must put this on yourself. You know, look back at uh, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. In the case, in Jesus' case, when it comes to humility, he really was the greater. He really was better than everyone else. Humility, therefore, uh, when, when it comes to Jesus, he was not one to demean himself as we were talking about earlier. He, he, he didn't look at somebody and to elevate them, he didn't say, well, I'm really just, I'm, you, you know, you're so much better than me. He never says that. What does humility look like in this case? In John chapter 13, beginning in verse 12, as he's washing their feet, it, or it says, when, when, uh, uh, when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now, Again, here's a case where he says, you call me Lord and teacher, you call me master, and I am. I, I really am. This is a case where the greater is serving the lesser. But what is the lesson? <laughs> it is not the greater saying, well, don't you just feel peachy about yourself. I mean, he is kind of giving them a lesson of, I mean, you, you, should, have, you should have been trying to wash each other's feet. You should have been trying to wash my feet. But he's not just trying to make them feel bad. He's trying to teach them a lesson. It could be, in certain cases, I do believe that, that we could be, to a degree, the greater. I think back to Romans chapter 14. He does give two different categories of people. There are those that are weaker in the faith, or who have a weaker conscience, and those who have a stronger conscience. He categorizes people in that way. He doesn't say, oh, well, there's just some people that think different than, than others. No, he says, this is the weaker position. And here is someone who doesn't have those same restrictions. And they are the stronger. But as he uses those terms, he doesn't, he doesn't in either case, uh, you know, hold them up as superior to one another. Rather, he gives instruction as to how to keep unity and how to treat one another even though those issues of conscience exist. And so there may be a case where you are the stronger in the faith. There may be a case where you don't put restrictions on yourself that maybe someone else uh, does. The example that Jesus gives us is that does not mean that you no longer have the responsibility to serve. And very frankly, I think very little do we find ourselves, you know, in, in, in such a way to say outrightly, oh, I am the greater. That's, that's not the point. But the, my point is, even if you were greater, by Jesus' example, 
you are still continue to, to continue to serve. It is still your responsibility. And so it doesn't matter whether you're the weaker or the stronger, the greater or the lesser. Everyone is given the command that you are to be a servant to one another. And, it, and, and, and so we need to think about that, the, the example that Jesus gives, that, that none of us get a pass. But we all are supposed to have a mindset of, how can I encourage this brother? How can I edify this sister? How can I lift them up? And how can I help them grow in the faith? Not just, how can I let them know that I covered for them and they need to worship me because of it, or they need to praise me because of it? That's pride. That's not a servant heart. And so, um, originally, when, when I was going through the, these studies, I was going to go through another main point. But that it would be a very long sermon, and so I just wanted to end with a couple questions and then pick up with some, some of the more applications that we could think about next week as we go deeper into the study. But just a couple of questions, first of all. I think a lot of times there are, are things that people say, and, and I'm just going to give a brief list. This isn't all of them, but here are just a few that sometimes people can ask. There are, there are all kinds of things that we can really genuinely wonder about. Like you see on the screen before, you know, we sometimes say, well, what about, what about this brother or sister? Why, why don't they do more? Um, or, you know, no one here encourages me. No one is doing their job of trying to lift me up and help me not just grow, but just, you know, maybe feel, uh, 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 feel like I am a part of the group. Or you have someone who, who just looks at, at the church and they say, well, it's just not growing the way I want it to. This needs to be growing faster. This needs to be growing in very specific ways. And, and you know what? Everyone else, they're just not paying enough attention to that. Or at the very beginning, uh, just very simply, I think there are always, uh, for everyone, it seems that there is always one kind of personality <laughs> that each of us just cannot stand. <laughs> I, you know, it, I think it differs from person to person. But there's one kind of personality that we just can't stand, and so we, we tend to focus on that person. We just can't stop complaining about them, can't say anything good about them. Have you ever said anything like, like this that you see up on the screen? Something like what we said earlier, someone, they're just so spiritually immature, and I'm sick and tired of it. Again, I'm not saying that, that it is always um, unnecessary, that, it, that, it's, that it's always inappropriate. Sometimes we need to address certain things. But a lot of the time, we go immediately to the complaints. We go immediately to the, oh, I just, I can't stand them any longer. Well, in contrast to these questions, I want to ask questions that we need to think internally, where we need to think about ourselves. Do you complain about your brother or your sister? Do you complain about one person in particular uh, most often? Well, are you guilty of the same things? You, you, you look at somebody... And you just think, man, I, all they ever do is just, is just you know, try to get all the information of all these different people and they just want all the information just because they're a big gossip or they're a busybody or something like that. And, and again, sometimes this can be the case where someone is a gossip. But I have had times where people have come up to me and they have said all of these things. They are just such a gossip. And man, did you hear what they said the other day about this other person? And I'm like, be careful because now you're doing the same thing. <laughs> You are almost guilty of the same things that you can't stand about that person. And I just, especially for me, that's what comes to mind when it comes to people who have complained. And it's not to say that gossip is something that we shouldn't root out of the church. 
but we just get so focused on someone's issues that we sometimes don't realize that we are practicing it ourselves. We look at someone and we say, well, they just, uh, they, they never do their lesson. I, I mean, I sit in a position where I can see their lesson material, and I know for a fact they never put answers on the sheet. And, you know, sometimes people could, they could look at something like that and say, well, why aren't they doing, why aren't they doing more? But then you look at, at your own life and maybe, just maybe, yes, you have the answers, you have the lines filled out. But as we talked about earlier in the Bible class, are, are you actually thinking about the answers or are you just writing down what the, what the author clearly wanted you to put down and moving on and never thinking about it? So there may be issues that needs to be dealt with, but it could be that while that still isn't a problem that, that we need to solve, there may be a problem in me that needs to be solved at the same time. So we need to think about that. And, and beyond that, maybe there is something that's wrong with them. Have you tried to help them? Is, is, someone, is someone just that you can't, they're just gossiping all the time. Have you gone to them and said, brother I, or, or sister, whatever the case may be, I, I think that you have been maybe speaking a little too much and, and derogatorily about brethren. And I think you've been speaking in a way that you really shouldn't be. And, I, and this is something that I want to, you know, discuss with you. Or do you, have you ever tried to go to that person in that way? Well, beyond that, you know, you, you look at someone and you say, they're just not doing enough. Again, what have you done? Have, are you guilty of the same things? Have, have you tried to fill uh, the gaps that are not being filled? Are you trying to solve the issue? Or are you just focusing on the issue being undone and, like we said earlier, just saying, I'm not going to move a muscle until they do their job? That's prideful. That's not love speaking. That's pride. You think about someone who, who is just worried about people never encouraging them. Well, here's a good question, and this is something that I, I, really, um, I really try to think about often. Have you been encouraging anyone? I, again, there was, there was a young lady that, that used to uh, she used to complain a lot, uh, and, and for some, sometimes it was just because the frustrations of life, and that was understandable. But it, <laughs> have you ever met someone who is never happy unless they're unhappy? And it, it kind of seemed like that was the case. And she would get so frustrated about people not coming to her and speaking with her every single service, but every single service, as soon as the amen was said at the, in the closing prayer, she went straight to the truck, closed the doors, closed the windows, and got on the phone with someone. And, and at one point, it wasn't even me, it was Paige, she said, well, do you think that it would help if you actually stayed to talk to people? And I was like, pretty frank, I like it. <laughs> and it was, sometimes we gotta be that frank. Sometimes we gotta ask these kinds of questions. Have, are you, you're so worried about people not talking to you. Are you at least trying to make relationships yourself? Because if you're not making any effort, how can you blame these other people? Now, again, this isn't taking the responsibility away from anybody, but we need to be careful that we're not guilty of the same things. Well, you think about someone who says, the church isn't growing as much as I think it should be. Ultimately, we need to be asking ourselves, are we growing? The only way that the collective the only way that the family can grow is if individually we are growing ourselves you can't lead people unless you know how to lead you can't encourage people unless you know how to encourage and how do you know those things you got to come to the scriptures and you have got to spend some time in this and not focus on everyone else spending time in it that will come but it will come naturally then 
once you've taken the time yourself. You know, not only that, but maybe, maybe you're, you're really trying to grow. Beyond that, are you contributing to help it grow? Or are you thinking, I'm doing what I need to do for myself. I'm doing a daily Bible reading, and I even, I even have a schedule where I try to pray this many times a day, and I'm really trying for myself. Are you trying to take the next step and encourage brethren to grow with you? Or are you just focusing on the bitterness? Are you just focusing on the anger and the frustration? All of this just to say, <laughs> you're never going to get rid of all the frustration. There's always going to be something to be annoyed about. There's always going to be something that I think can, can, can you know, spring up bitterness. But the goal in all of this, as we look at the application of the kind of mindset and attitude we're supposed to have, Jesus' mindset and attitude, we need to, to have his heart. We need to view each other the way he views us. If we want to have that unity that he wants us to strive for, that he wants us to attain, not just someday, but today. That will never come if we don't first put on that kind of heart, that kind of servant heart. And so, as, as I said earlier, this, this does get particularly hard when you add differences, like different kinds of personality, personality clashes, judgments, and, and uh, issues of conscience and so forth. When you throw all that into the mix... But we'll never be able to figure out how to deal with those things. We'll never figure out how to, how to keep the unity, keep the peace, if we don't first conquer ourselves and allow others to have the benefit over ourselves. To truly think about, to regard one another as more important than ourselves and our own interests. And incidentally, when you think about that notion of conquering ourselves first, putting others above us, I think that's, that's the invitation of Christ for those who have not given themselves to him. For those who have not been converted and have a relationship with him. What must first be done if you want to be in a relationship with God? Well, you have to deny yourself. And then, not only do you have to deny yourself, but then you have to bear your cross. You have to be willing to do that day by day. You have to be willing to do that ultimately so that way why? You can look more like Christ. You can emulate his goal, his, or his mindset, his attitude. And you can... Uh, die, put the old man to death, and rise in newness of his life. So that way you can have that relationship with him. That way you can be a part of that kingdom that we've been talking about, that we're trying to grow in and strengthen. Do you have that relationship with Christ tonight? You may be someone who, who uh, already has a relationship, but maybe you've just failed in some of the things we've talked about tonight. Again, you don't have to stay there. You can make a goal right now. I'm going to repent of that attitude, and I'm going to start thinking in this kind of loving way, in, in a Christ-like Christ way. But if you're not a Christian, what do you need to do? You've heard the gospel. You've, uh, if you believe that he is the Christ, if you believe that what he says goes, if you believe that he is the king, and you are willing to repent of everything he says that needs to go, confess that he is the son of the living God, and be baptized into his death you can become a part of that kingdom today. And again, the pitch, as we said last time, is not, you know, don't you want to be a part of this group, this fellowship? The pitch is, do you want to have fellowship with him? That's the main thing. So if you want that, if we can assist you in that, please let your need be known to us. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.